the name of the values that keep you alive do not let your vision of man be distorted by the ugly, the cowardly, the mindless, and those who have never achieved his title. Do not lose your knowledge that man's proper estate is an upright posture, an intransigent mind, and a step that travels on limited roads. Do not let your fire go out sparked by replacing the spark and hope the swamps of the approximate are not quite the not yet and not at all. The world you desired can be won. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It's yours. Hey guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. Today we have a special episode for you guys and it's going to be a little different. We're going to be talking about UBDI, which is a company that I co-founded and that I've been working on for the last uh, eight months or so, and we'll be here with my CEO and co-founder, Dana Budson. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. So we're just going to walk you through the problem we're trying to solve, uh, some of what we're doing, and then how you guys can get involved. Yeah, I feel like I should, before we dive into more general stuff, I should at least say um, what UBTI is. Um, just briefly, um, UBDI stands for Universal Basic Data Income, and the goal is to help individuals um, privately um, be able to share um, their data with market research companies, um, anonymous aggregated trend data, um, so effectively monetize their data, securitize their data um, with UBD tokens, and um, effectively be able to control where their data goes and what happens with it. Yeah, perfect. So. What first got you inspired to start working with data? It's not a very sexy topic. <laughs> um, I actually have a somewhat sad, a little bit traumatic of a, of a story that led me to this, but I'm happy it did. Um, when I was 18, um, without going into sob story, I went into septic shock and uh, was put into a medically induced coma for about a month. Um, and I had a, a year-long recovery with about six other major surgeries. And what was interesting is no one could really figure out what happened to me um, or why, you know, this healthy, active 18-year-old went just, <laughs> you know, septic shock happens within 24 hours. I had run five miles that day. I had a pizza and then I had a 106 fever and was coma. <laughs> there yeah. we go. So it was pretty uh, interesting. So I effectively... Uh, was introduced in my recovery to the concept, you know, of of health data and how valuable what I had just effectively produced in my lying there, <laughs> how valuable that was. And there and there were two things that really um, struck me struck me in my in in you know dealing with doctors and going through this recovery phase, which was one um, my lack of ability to transport my data easily from doctor to doctor. Um, I had, you know, probably like 15 different types of doctors at that time. And every time I'd have to go enter new forms and people would be faxing information. And it was just always an absolute nightmare for me. Um, and I had to call two different hospitals because I had been on the West Coast and the East Coast. Um, and it was just a really big pain. And I always loved the idea of me having complete access and control of my data and then being able to share that when I pleased with doctors so that I, you know, with people I trust. Um, and the second thing about that was also while people were trying to figure out what happened to me, they were saying, oh, well, you know what? I have this friend at National Institute of Health and I think he would be really good on your case. And, you know, let me share this with him. And while I was okay with that, right? Cause I'm okay with that 
you know, my health data being shared for the purpose of finding what happened to me, I kind of figured out, you know, very quickly that data is, you know, um, a genie in a bottle. And once you let that genie out, <laughs> it's really hard to put the cap back on. So I had a lot of worries worries and as well as some incidences with life insurance and health insurance companies, et cetera, where I was like, my health data is out there and I'm not sure how to put it back in, back into my control. And so that really inspired me to get into the space because it's really not just health data, right? It's, it's all of your data. Um, and that's my, my long story of how I, how I got here, but um, I'll cut. I'll cut it there. <laughs> well, the, you know, the health industry is ripe for disruption with data. The government recently was rated, uh, or sorry, the healthcare industry was recently rated one of the least secure industries for data, which is ironic because of all the HIPAA regulations and how much they seem to care about it. Um, but so many of the files are still paper files. When I used to work in a medical office, uh, every day I spent just putting files back and forth into the filing cabinet. Every day the patients would come, I'd pull their files, put them back in. If they needed to be transferred, I would have to fax hundreds of pages over to the next doctor uh, or Yikes. walk it down to the <laughs> hospital next door. Um, so there wasn't really uh, a great system for sharing information, for figuring out between two files, being able to cross-reference it very quickly. Um, really, it was all manual reviewing uh, and all manual um, handing it off to other people. So um, as we started to digitize, which a lot of doctors were pretty hesitant to start doing because it's a lot of work to turn all of your paper into bits and teach everyone in the office how mm -hmm. to do it, but there were you know massive, um, max, uh, massive gains in efficiency for everyone involved, which ultimately I think will be good for the people who have to pay for it at the end of the day once we figure out that system. Um, and that's what everyone seems to be trying to do right now. So what do you think has made people suddenly pay attention to the issue of data privacy and data security as of late? Yeah, I actually think that it's a little bit of, of two different things. So I think people were uh, started to pay attention because of the big data breaches, the Target, Marriott, Yahoo, the list, fa Facebook, just the list is really goes on and on. Um, so I think that's what brought people's attention because it was big news article it was finally in the mainstream media and it wasn't necessarily privacy related. It was more security related, right? Because Target didn't want you, it, they didn't want this data out there as much as the next person, but it was more of a security problem. But then there's on the other hand, what people are also starting to realize, right? And this really came about, I think Cambridge Analytica was kind of the breaking point for this was that these, you know, massive, dare I say, monopolies have um, amassed so much information on people in these centralized data centers and units. So there's not only just the security problem, right? Um, but there's also this surveillance capitalism problem where they are surveilling everything you're doing. They're amassing large amounts of information on you. And to, to speak to Cambridge Analytica, that it's not just about, you know, selling you ads. Um, it's also... They're not, these companies know so much at this point that they're not just, um, you know, understanding or looking at behavior, they're actually dictating it. And that's the incredible danger that we're running into. And people started to see, you know, if you can give everyone from age 65 up a different message than you can give these people, you know, misinformation is just another form of censorship, really. And people don't think of it that way. They're like, oh, freedom of speech. But you don't realize if you throw so much information out there that no one knows what what and what to believe you know you've created a form of censorship as well 
um, because then you know you just have to pick who is the arbiter of truth and you usually pick the one that you like in your own echo chamber and that's really dangerous so i think between the breaches which was the security issue and then this surveillance capitalism facebook uh google amazon uber the whole bit um, all of those stories starting to break out and people doing more investigative work, I think that's really led to the uh, people starting to pay attention. So what are the different players in the data industry? You have sort of the aggregators of data, you have the apps that are generating the data, um, and then you have you know some of the people who are just intermediaries between the aggregators and the apps themselves. So you have a lot of people who are, um, who are parts of this economy that haven't really... Uh, we're all trying to carve out their niche. So how would you describe some of those players? Oh, interesting. Um, I think there's a, a couple different things. I think one, there's the data brokers. I, I would just call them data brokers. They are straight. Their whole thing is to aggregate data and sell data. And it can be, you know, I'll use an example that came up of recent um, Axiom, Equifax, Indica, and Sky. Um, I think were the names. I may be forgetting some, but um, they collected um data about pregnant women through membership registration and from forms that women were filling out at hospital bedsides of like new mothers. And that is just, cre there's no, no way around safe, it. There yeah. is no, no form is safe. That is just creepy, invasive, everything bad in the world, right? Yeah. And, and so there's those companies where I really think, you know, I, I think they're bad actors. I mean, I'll just, that they are. <laughs> they're, they're bad actors in the data space and they are just pure data brokers. And then to separate that, I think there's more of this um, value added thing where it gets a little, the lines get a little bit more blurry, things get a little bit more grayed out, which is like, thank you, Google. I'm so happy that I can navigate from A to B because I would get lost in LA. But um, did I really want you looking at my location for whether it be ads or development or all these other things that you're selling it for on top of the fact you're not giving me a piece of that, right? There's these um, value added companies. And then there's companies that don't even, um, that's like more technology, right? Advertisement space. Um, and then there's, oh, this there goes so many. Uh, but I think there's also the financial sector and what they use data for. Um, well, that's more who the data is sold to, I guess I would say. So maybe I'll just leave it with those two, the value added companies where the data is used, um, whether it be to train AI or do other things with. And then there's the strict data brokers, which I do think we could really go away with. And then that's kind of how Facebook got away with it initially is they said, we're not actually selling data to anyone. We're just creating these exclusive partnerships with other companies <laughs> that may or may not sell your data. And right. uh, we're going to get some benefit from that, whether it be the network effects um, or whatever else. And uh, they've clearly done very well with their trove of data. Yeah. Um, so what are some of, some of the examples of um, maybe apps or services and the data they sell and to whom? So for what reason? Yeah, um, let me think of a couple um i think a, a good one in the financial sector would be robin hood um they sell to there's like three companies that i think they might have even gotten on legal trouble with but um without getting into that uh citadel two sigma and uh virtue financial were i think the three these are all and just like quantitative hedge funds you've never yes. heard of you yeah, know, you'd... A, they, they don't want you to know who they are right right like right a... high frequency trading firms basically collecting a lot of information about 
Um, not that Robin Hood users are less educated. I have Robin Hood. <laughs> but, but still, you don't... Typically not professionals. Not professionals. You don't have this mass amount of data that you can use for trading. You can read things, etc. But um, effectively taking the data from all of these people and base giving it to high-frequency trading firms and others to make 10x of what, you know, these other people are making. Um, so that's kind of on, on the Robin Hood front. <laughs> yeah, and um, we talked to some, some of these companies and, you know, the slightest edge in information can take your returns from 10% to 40% in a year if you just have some asymmetrical information that other companies don't right. have. So everyone's just trying to get a leg up to create a more complete picture of the world and the markets. Um, right. So it's not necessarily bad, but it is bad if you don't know that your trades are being sold so that you can be traded against by <laughs> someone whose entire job or a robot who doesn't sleep. You know, these are things right. you might want to know. Right. And then um, I think another one that's a really big one is the genetics data, like 23andMe. Um, they had that $300 million um, deal with GSK, um, GlaxoSmithKline, and, and that was for, I forget the exact, you know, thing of their contract but it was five million users i think it was five million users and i think it was like exclusivity for four years or something like that um but but ultimately the fact that you're coming in for 23 and me and they're you know there's positives sold it as that service either it was you pay and we give this right you You know it was like you're paying and they're making money on top of that data on top of it which is wasn't even just what you realized was probably their main business model from the get-go they they never really wanted to make a billion dollars at 50 bucks a pop for a test that wasn't the plan (laughs) right and i mean what's what's interesting about that not to dive in too deeply what really offends me (laughs) i will say about um that company in particular um, and, and a lot of the genetics company I've seen because I've started to read their privacy policies and it's really offensive, truly. You're the only person. I'm the only person, it, but, but I've, uh, it's, it's bad. Um, is that they, if they had been transparent about it, if, if they, they said what they were doing and that was like part of their game plan, but the messaging that they present to you is like, find out more about yourself and, and find out more about the world around you, which is true and which is really beneficial and a complete value add to society, I agree. It's finding com- commonalities that you didn't know were there more than differences of people in different parts of the world, you know? Um, and I think that can really bring people together, but it's also dangerous in the fact that you don't have control over your own genetic data. It's being used for things that you don't have a say over. And on top of it, they can give it to for, forget GSK, they can give it to whatever company. They, Chinese government. Right, <laughs> right, they can give it to whoever, where's the line drawn, right? If, it, if it's for-profit data, genetic data sales, and I don't have a say over what I've paid you for, let, I've even paid you for yeah. it, right? Then where is that line drawn? Um, and then that's a matter of trust in the people pitching this to you, and they have millions to convince you that they're doing good for the world, and that's that can be really dangerous. And even the right to be forgotten process, you have the you have to trust them enough to <laughs> to trust that they're going to get rid of it if you say you want them to. Right, and I'm pretty sure um, I haven't gone through it myself because I I do not use their service, but I've heard from from people that finding a way to to not have um, your data on their service is really time consuming. Like they've made it's not like a button at their site transparently like hey you paid us for this opt out. It's like buried (laughs) which i i think right then and there that tells you like the priorities of this company 
Yeah. Sorry, I but went I, deep I, into but that. But I mean, I think <laughs> it's, it's interesting because genetic data at the end of the day can tell us a lot about who we are, about humanity, about how our behaviors um, are correlated with the code that we're essentially written in. So there are so many things that, you know, potentially could be done with it that could be great. And so the hard part is just figuring out where exactly that balance is, but mostly making sure that the person who is uh, who's contributing to whatever is being learned is getting some of that information back for one. So you want to yeah. learn a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I think they've done a decent job at that. But yeah. I think one of the problems they have is one, you can only opt into their partners who they choose, you know, very specifically. So a lot of people are downloading their genome now and uploading it to some other site that's going to give them some insight about their genetics. But that site is taking that and then selling it off without their consent. Right. Um, the genie out of the bottle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where is so, this going so after? There, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. exactly. I, I actually like um, one thing that um, I liked that you, you said there was, I think you said, well, maybe not. I'm, I'm not sure if you said that, that they were the consumers or they were the producers, right? Is that, um, and, and I think one thing that's really cool about that is that people are starting to realize that we're not just consumers, right? You would think that 23andMe is positioned, I'm paying you for a service, I am the consumer, right? Or I'm buying this thing, I am the consumer. But what's happening with data is people are actually the value producers. And I think what, you know, we're trying to do with UBDI and with just like the changing of this power structure in data economy space is to say, hey, you the people are the producers and therefore you decide what happens with the data value that you produce and you can either get compensated for it or you can at least protect it and control where it goes or you should at least know what company it's going to and for what purpose it's going to that company, right? Because I'm cool with my health data, right? I said being being shared with National Institute of Health. Great. Find out what happened to me. Super pumped about that. Where it goes after that? Nope. You don't have a right to share it past there. How do I ensure that that's, you know, not just a legal framework, but that there's a there's an architecture, a data architecture that's protecting me from that going elsewhere past that, right? So I'm always in control. And I think that's a really key thing is, is some of these companies, I think, built privacy security and and the structure for users to be in control one they either haven't built it or um it's a secondary thought right that's coming along with all these gdpr and Cons consumer privacy act they're starting to think about it and trying to think like what little things can we put in here to pass the test mm -hmm. but it's not like the core of their business and at the end of the day they're you know obligated to their shareholders to make a profit off of what you give them whether it be facebook google 23 whatever it is and that's a dangerous space to be in when you're you know the very people you're trusting their duty is to money versus you yeah and ultimately i mean the regulations are great they're opening up uh they're opening up some avenue for a lot of this to take place i'm not like huge on regulations but at the same time facebook has lobbied super heavily to actually get more invasive stuff put into gdpr in some ways like they still have the rights to access any European citizen who's like in the U.S. temporarily. Like they have all these <laughs> random things where they've carved out little ways to still make it work for them here and there. So I think it has to be something where the people really have the tools to take it back for themselves, 
they realize that the economic opportunity is there for them and they can participate how they please mm -hmm. and that has to be done by sort of uh, a solution that actually gives them control as opposed to leaving it on some other company's servers you know in the long term uh, for it to be sold wherever and I think the idea of data more as a currency is a really liberating thought because it transcends all boundaries between language, between geography. Everyone is producing data all the time. The value is growing. The insights we can extract from them are growing in value as we figure out how to work with data. Um, and so it seems like people are people might get to the point where you know the most valuable unit um, of exchange on the aggregate of society, you know, up until now it's been gold, it's been diamonds, uh, it's been oil. And these are all things you have to get out of the ground, things you have to extract. You need a lot of people to do it. You need governments. Um, you know, in Guatemala, I recently went there and my taxi driver said, you know, the country is rich, but the people are poor. And that's because yeah. all of the value is extracted out of the ground and then corrupt politicians give the rights to it to someone in the US who sells it up here and none of the value ends up with the people. But with data, the value is always with the people because it's well, generated. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not there yet, but but it's generated by the people, unlike oil or something like that, where it's just a resource out it, of the it ground. Could, it could be controlled by the people yes. if, if so done property. But unlike... It's yeah. produced by them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So unlike oil or something, I can't just like snap and make a diamond happen, but I can tap my phone and make some data happen you know <laughs> so so there is uh, I like that there's That's like funny. there's an interesting opportunity where people can finally have control of the most valuable resource in right. the world and use it to transcend some of the boundaries and some of the power structures that have kept you know resources in the hands of very few people who have control of it and that's sort of the fight that's happening right now is is data going to be in the hands of the people who just want to use it to um, tap power over people or is it going to be used by people um, for to people <laughs> to have the power yeah to have the power to know to use that knowledge for good to understand um, and that's the fundamental problem so when we talk about data now that we've gone down this road what <laughs> are know, what the are rabbit some of hole you, that we could talk through forever well, what are some of the things that people are actually uh, really the types of data that these companies are really interested in right now Ooh, um, well, there's a couple interesting, I mean, I did, t I touched a little bit like the health, financial, social, like yep. there's those types of categories, but I think what's actually more, since I did touch on those a little bit, what's more beneficial um, for, you know, potentially listeners is understanding that there really are different types of data because it's just such a big word it's a that <laughs> it's a huge category. So, you know, like uh, bits of data, it could be your name that goes into your profile. It could be the location on your phone that Google Maps has, right? You want to navigate A to B, but they have your location on that and that for whatever purpose they want it. And maybe you should be able to set that purpose is what I think. But then the songs you listen to, what you view on YouTube, uh, what you buy, where you buy it, why you bought it, like that's all incredibly valuable yeah. information. Why you bought from this store versus this other store in your area. Uh, was it the free shipping? Was it um, that it's just a better product, it's better made, or was there some, uh, you know, with a lot of these new um, get woke policies, if you will, or get woke <laughs> campaigns, um, you know, like, is it environmentally, was the product environmentally made? Is that what led you to it? Like, these yeah. different things that companies want to understand, 
um, to be able to make products and services better for you. Um, and right now they just yeah. kind of stalk you for it. Like yeah. you have <laughs> you have cookies that follow you around every time right. you visit a website. They want to see what you're looking at through all. I mean, Facebook can see all of your other tabs open. You have a site like NBC News where once you log in, they have a keystroke logger and a mouse. I didn't know that. A mouse wow. logger. So like they'll follow <laughs> your mouse and everything you type into your computer after that. So like. They're just trying to stalk the hell out of you to get these answers. <laughs> yeah. um, but a lot of them are answers that you might not even be offended to contribute to. You might right. not mind saying, well, I don't watch, I don't read NBC News because I think all of your reporters, you know, <laughs> are... Watch where you go yeah. with that. Well, I'm just saying, generally speaking, you know, right. they might be able to get the answer directly from the person who might not right. really mind giving it to them. Um, well, I actually, one thing I really like about um, what you said there... It, it, as far as um, even deeper trends, not not trends necessarily, but like problems with society as just a whole, from homelessness to veteran homelessness to from from health and how do we you know low income communities and health problems and et cetera et cetera like those types of things I think a lot of institutions whether it be nonprofits foundations blah 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 uh, government institutions are spending so much money trying to get answers kind of like what you said like they're trying to stalk but they're kind of going around it it's like if you actually just you know who knows what's wrong with commute like their community the people in the community and maybe if you actually just gave them the ability to easily whether it be ask them questions or ask their data questions right which is part of what and we're doing without being pitchy I, yeah <laughs> but the in and the right incentives not only are you putting money into these people's pockets that they can re-spend in their communities, right, to help grow it. But on top of that, you're solving the problems with people. Um, and, and I mean, there's there's a ton of power in that and the good kind of power in that. Yeah. Bringing people together to solve yeah. big problems and make them feel like they participated. Right. But also telling them, you know, something about themselves, because that's the asymmetrical nature of how data is now is you have these companies who are hoarding data, they're hoarding whatever they're learning because it's yeah. more valuable if they have it and no one else does. Um, but you need to, to disseminate that into the general population so everyone's learning together at some point. Yeah. You know, you don't want just, you know, Facebook knowing everything about sociology. Facebook probably does know more about sociology <laughs> than Harvard's sociology <laughs> department. Reasonably, yeah. probably. Um, but do you want that to be the case? Do you yeah. want people to go work at Facebook if they want to study sociology? Not really exclusively, yeah. you know? So it's important. To... There's an interesting thing there. If you keep the information in the hands of a few, there's a power structure that you've created. And it's obviously a power structure that needs to be taken down or you've just given entities power over everyone especially when it comes to knowing information about you right yep. and you don't know that information about them we can't even get to the you know can't even investigate into all the different things facebook is up to yeah because we don't know and we already take that for granted with our government we already assume everything we do is watched but it's like how many more people need to be watching <laughs> and that's so like one thing i want to one thing i do want to talk about is what they actually use data for so Facebook takes, you know, its data, generally it uses it to target people for ads, but they also use it to train AI, for example. So the recent uh, article about Echo, uh, the Amazon Echo having uh, 
Amazon employees scattered over Europe listening to audio recordings that people didn't know were being taken of them. And this is why I unplugged mine like a year ago. I haven't touched that thing because I don't. I didn't even buy one, not to one up you. (laughs) No, I mean you were you were smart. I liked I liked having it there. I felt pretty cool telling Alexa what to do all day, but Alexa had the last laugh. Um, And so that's you know at at the end of the day, uh, their their excuse is. This is so that we can make our products better. This is so our machine learning algorithms right. can do a better job of uh, figuring out how to communicate with people and uh, learn what they mean by their well, requests. Well, there's always a good message, there isn't there? Is. There's, I mean, there's millions of dollars put into that messaging, right? Which is, I mean, if the problem is if the, if the product was so good, if Amazon truly, that was the only thing, great put it in writing, yeah. right? And then have a, a method for contractually that I'm saying, you can use this data from my home that I allowed you to use for the purpose of which I've allowed you to use it. And if you go without that bounds, I can sue you. Yeah. <laughs> and that there's a method of which is easy for me to go about that because you're gonna owe me. I would go after a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to go on with Bezos. <laughs> well, and that's and that's how they get you. They subsidize all these things in the beginning, so you get it super cheap. You're like, right. wow, ten bucks for an Alexa? What a deal! You know, fifteen bucks. I right. saw those prices uh, on like Amazon Prime Day. It's crazy how cheap they're doing. Of just course. trying to hand them away. Because they know for later down the line, they're going to make a lot of money off of it. Listening so, to you and your pride. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of what Google did, right, with yeah. with Google search is it was kind of a Westworld. I mean, Westworld came after, obviously, but that's <laughs> but that's what it was. The freedom. I don't know if you watch Westworld. Oh, Maybe yeah, this is just yeah. lost no, no, upon. I'm, I'm well, for all the non-Westworld <laughs> uh, listeners. But the point is making you feel your most free so that you can search whatever disease that you think you have and convince yourself you're dying. (laughs) You know, whatever it may be that you were in your most free space and then watching those habits and forming data and aggregating that data, et cetera, and using it for all these different things. Same thing with Google, same thing with Amazon is your most free space in your home and, and the privacy of what you discuss or the news that you're discussing or maybe in my household, let me tell you, debates every night. You could know what the left and the right think pretty clearly up there, yeah. you know? But point being, like, is that information that I want? And even even if I didn't mind Amazon wanting it, that I'm trusting you now, that you are the holder of this private information from my home in case that gets out. Yeah. Like, that's the... I mean, there's so many risks Yeah, once it's out there, you can't get it back, especially if there's a constant stream. And that's that's an interesting point because there are all these IoT devices that are coming coming out. Most people have a couple of them at this point, whether that be a smart TV, a smart fridge, uh, an Amazon Alexa, a car that has, that's hooked up to the internet. Most of them are at this point. They're selling gigabytes of data every day. So, you know, your devices are actually generating value all the time. You know, maybe I have to work for some data. I have to, you know, scroll through Facebook and create that data, but our devices are creating data all the time. Some of it, you know, is stuff we maybe don't want shared. I don't want uh, my nanny cams that are, you know, if I have a kid that's it's like being you have washed. Nanny yeah, I don't. <laughs> no. Look In the room. future, when I have a nanny cam, I don't want that thing set up watching my kid for or someone to be watching. Or the Nest security that Google exactly. put the secret. That's the terrifying. And that's actually happened. There was some guy who hacked into one and started talking to the kid and said, oh, I'm geez. watching you. And the family was like, what? And so uh. this happens all the time. Um, 
But, you know, would I mind if when I was driving my car, it sent data about, you know, how well the car was handling around corners after I took it on a fast drive and it wanted to pay me for that because, you know, say Tesla wanted to figure out how to... Oh, you want a Tesla their... now? No, no, no I wouldn't be a Tesla, but, you know, say Porsche wanted to improve the Wait, what are these cars that you can afford? <laughs> well, not yet. Let's hope this does well. <laughs> this does well. Um, hilarious but you know all these cars that are they're constantly generating data and a lot of what we do all the time is just send that data away for free we say right. we'll help you build your product that's fine but they've used this to start getting data that's even more private uh even more valuable that they can often sell on the other side even when you just agree to use it for uh the purposes of improving their products so i think it's important to get to a place where we really do control the data that is generated in our own house in our own right. car and then at least you can do whatever you at want least exactly at least you have the control and i think the, the education piece of of knowing a little bit more about where it goes and, and i'm not you know i don't have the perfect picture of what that looks like right but you have to be thinking about these things from the start because there's the good side of data the you know look at the problems between poverty and climate and all of these things you know your iot devices could share emissions from yeah. different cars and how much people are driving and you know where you're going and what that could look like for development and a new subway or any yep. sort of public transportation in la for goodness sake right like there's good and then there's there's bad right yep. which we i think we've touched on lots so i think it's just finding the architecture and the way to um, handle data safely um, because it's not just I mean we'll, we'll dive into this in a second but it's not just here's data let me centralize it in all of these different places so that my data is just scattered everywhere and I'm trusting tons of people with it I just think that that's a solution that people are coming up with and it's just in my mind not the right one <laughs> yeah and I think it's Data can make your life a lot easier. Like, I, there's so much stuff out there that I don't even know what I want anymore. I could never look through all the Amazon pages that are out there. At some point, you kind of want, you want the data to help you when you're trying to select and make decisions. So if you have a smart fridge and you've got, you know, uh, a dozen apples in there and it notices that you only have four left and it can, uh, you know, order you some more from Whole Foods, you know, that's not such a bad thing or... It, if it syncs with your health data and it knows that you've gained a couple pounds this month, Jesus. maybe it suggests that. Well, I don't know that... about that. <laughs> no. Hold on. But, you know, but, I... But user's choice. Of right? course. No, your of fridge course. versus my fridge might be a little bit different. No, no, I totally agree. But there are certain people of different thresholds. For me, I, would, I wouldn't mind it doing some of the computation so I don't have to do it in my head. It might keep track yeah. of how many calories I've eaten by how many things I've kicked out of the fridge. But yeah, I get what you're saying. I think... Yeah, figuring out how you put all those systems together in a way where it's actually benefiting the individuals is not easy. Um, but it's also something that, you know, people are just starting to figure out now. And as we have more sources of data and more, more effective ways of figuring out what needs to be extracted and what doesn't, it can be a lot more privacy focused. So right. we're going to start probably going a little bit into how we fit into this. Maybe a good place to start would be with just DigiMe and how that works. Yeah, I should probably introduce that a little bit. So like I really briefly said in the beginning, um, we're trying to give um, users the tools to effectively monetize their data for um, paying market research companies, 
right? As the first industry we're going after. It's $50 billion industry. Um, and it's a great place to start because it's all about trends and aggregate data. It's never looking at you personally, but it's looking at groups of people like you that might buy the same things or whatever, listen to the same songs, whatever that might be. Um, so what we've done um, is, is in creating this, I was thinking about um, all these things that we've just talked about briefly, but to put them, you know, choice, user choice, transparency about what people are taking in why the ability to protect users data because i don't even want their data right i want the user to have control of their data and i only need a specific you know bit or or piece um to aggregate with others and i don't need to know who you are right so privacy focused and user centric right was all uh, a key in this and what i found is this um platform called digime um who are a lot larger in the uk um but they're effectively oh sorry my dog <laughs> um but they're a private sharing app that effectively should i get my dog sorry um effectively they're a private um sharing platform that allows you to import um from over fifteen thousand data sources thousands of data sources like um let's see uh, social uh, facebook instagram twitter um flickr pinterest and then there's um, your more lifestyle, YouTube, Spotify, any and all uh, bank, debit card, credit card um, for transaction history. And then um, my, am I forgetting any? I feel like I'm totally wearables. forgetting. Wearables, yes, like Garmin, um, uh, Fitbit, and then um, I think uh, Google, what's it called? Google Fit is going to be in there with like 200 plus um, different wearable devices that you also have. And effectively, it, it um, puts it into what I call your personal data vault, where you can actually view, you can search your own data, you can see it. It's all actually really um, fun and, <laughs> and really cool to look through all that data in one place. Um, but on top of that, what they do then is they handle permissions for you to say, here's different apps built on our platform. And they have other ones besides us. We are more of a monetization platform, but effectively uh, one of their um, platforms is called FinSites. I think it's a good example to use. And it's basically if you're familiar with Mint, but um, with privacy. So you can say, hey, I do want, you know, whether it's a financial budgeter or financial planner, I want to be able to look through my finances of what I'm spending and categorize it and play with it and be able to make better financial decisions. But I don't necessarily want to say, hey, I trust Mint with this and then Mint goes sells it off the back end. So what they do is you effectively app to app analytics where they say, okay, I've given permission to FinSites to access my vault for this amount of time to run this analysis and they can show me the results, but they can't share this data just out the back end, right? So you do the analytics on the device. I'm getting the information and the value add that apps add do add to our lives. And then from there, um, but I'm also fully in control of my data and I'm the only one. And um, one more thing about Digimi's architecture is they don't actually see, touch, or hold the data. They actually encrypt it for you. There's, I'm not going to go into it, but if you go to Digimi's website, there's a security deep dive for anyone who's like really wants to power through. You, they encrypt it before it's a cloud of, they, you put it in a cloud of your choosing. That can be um, Google Drive, uh, Dropbox, uh, Microsoft One, and obviously they'll add more decentralized options as we trust them and we vet their security, et cetera. But they actually, these, those companies, they say, oh, Google, 
they cannot see what's in that file. That is <laughs> encrypted before it goes in there. It doesn't take nearly any room in your, um, you don't have to worry about like storage space and it taking all this room. Um, and then how we fit into this, because I go on these tangents, I apologize. You know that I do this. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> um, but then how we fit into this to understand that is that app to app analytics. And so in our uh, in UBDI, we present you with different market research opportunities that tell you what companies are looking at, what the purpose is, what data they're looking for. So what, you know, uh, source that you needed to be connected. And I can give you a couple examples of that. And effectively, if you say, yeah, I'm comfortable with this, this is, you know, I've read this like almost condition sheet that we have within our app and you say great i want to make this much money and i want to get this much tokens which we'll get into in a you know hot sec but i want to monetize this and make money for myself i'm going to contribute this data to this aggregated fund and then because of the way this architecture is basically you've given us permission to extract that insight that anonymous insight that we don't even know who you are right from your Digimi data vault, and then we can bring that metadata or that aggregated data into, you know, then it's in a centralized place. Um, but it's already anonymized, it's already done the first level of analytics, if not the entire analytics, um, right there on your device, which protects you, the user, right? But it also protects companies, which I think is this thing, because companies don't want all this raw, they don't, need the, they don't need the liability, they don't want this raw, data of yours a lot of times they're just looking for that insight and we give them a way to get the insight that they need without invading your privacy without us invading your privacy and at the end of the day all of your raw sensitive data stays with you and like those little tidbits uh, are extracted and anonymized right there on your device um before we oobdy even see anything um and that that architecture i went no, over great. your question i'm sorry but uh, that architecture is why we built it the way we built it, because I do think that data needs from all of the things that we've just discussed, data needs to be church and state. Digimi empowers individuals with their data and says, we don't see touch or hold it, but we'll help you secure it and you know encrypt it and then give you choices, this platform of choices between how you share it with different apps. And Oobdi's your monetization layer that says, okay, I'm seeing the bits of data that these different companies want and I get to choose what I share and when I share it and who I share it with, yada, yada, et cetera, right? Um, so I'm sorry, I, I no, dove I dove in, so. <laughs> and so that's, no, that's a great segue into talking a little bit about how users are paid. So I can talk a little bit about this because I've been working a lot on this. Yeah, this is crypto economy. Um, this yeah, is where this you is, shine. This is where I shine. So we've, <laughs> we've decided on a, a strategy where we'll essentially pay all of our users in cash using uh, Stripe. So it'll be available in 16 currencies at launch. Um, most, uh, you know, Japan, and, uh, most of the European Union, um, a dozen other countries. Um, and they'll also be given a an equal amount uh, at a par value of UBDI tokens. So we'll give you these tokens that'll represent a stake in our community. It's a capped supply. So there will only be so many and these are gonna represent the total data economy that we've created. Um, and we wanted to do this so that our users have both a cash and equity piece uh, in our community. And we wanna give them certain privileges for having these things. 
um, and get them to interact with our community in a variety of ways. So one of these ways will be community voting. We'll give our members uh, the option uh, to essentially participate in some of the big decisions that our company is making that we want input from our users. We want it to operate like a, like a co-op or a, a truly decentralized community where everyone has a say in how the platform uh, is created, the decisions that are being made. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to just set up the infrastructure for the community to run itself. Uh, and we want to be there along the way to make sure that we're maximizing the value of the data that's being given to us, finding as many partners as we can to drive as much uh, revenue into these studies as we can to give the users the most value that we can get um, until we get to the point where it runs itself, so to say. So um, it would be great if you could maybe talk a little bit about sort of market research studies, how people are usually paid, um, you know, what to expect, because a lot of people see the numbers that Facebook generates on their data. Um, yep. But there, it's hard to find exactly what data is worth. This is something Mark Zuckerberg talked about. He said, well, we were just trying to figure out what the market value of data was right. in going to all these companies because there's no value. <laughs> so, Right. Well, what's really interesting and why we've started with, with market research is it's, it's really the most lucrative for the user with the least amount of users because you can have a sample size of, you know, whether it be 400 people or... Um, a thousand people, right, or or three thousand people, but even so, this isn't millions upon millions of people that you need to be able to um, monetize these insights. So, um, a couple of examples that I could I could give you, you know, maybe uh, one that we called tailored insight, which is Pete's Coffee wants to know how much was spent on Starbucks this quarter, and you know how much more or less was that than the last three quarters. So you'd see that Pete's Coffee wants to ask this question about coffee trends and that they're looking, you've evidently hooked up a credit card or a debit card and so that we can see. And so we basically, I guess one way to look at it is we scan for Pete's Coffee and we say, okay, 20 bucks, this device, yeah. <laughs> 20 bucks, this device, a hundred bucks, this device. Uh, and, and we aggregate that. So the company's seeing like, you know, a thousand bucks, that's obviously not an accurate portrayal of what people spend on coffee. Uh, but and so how much would a company pay for something like that? Right. So there's, uh, it depends the study, um, for, you know, for a qualitative study, you know, if you were really diving into these people and it wasn't necessarily just their data, but maybe you asked them some questions in addition, um, depending the type of person that this was, the a business person, it could be like three hundred dollars a participant depending um if you know it could also be 20 bucks a participant point being it's not three cents yeah. <laughs> is really where i'm going with this but then for different targeted studies it, you know if users were around a thousand five hundred it could be a hundred dollars for a participant and part of that is because for a lot of these other market research companies that we're going to be competing with um some of their their costs are um obviously paying this team to then run these analytics and to run all of these things and then paying the team costs. the acquisition of finding people to participate and 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 getting the answers and just all of these things right and they're and so they have to pay so much more money than what they're even paying the user and what is beneficial to us is like that's all in one place and so we can give um users the majority of um of the payment and we could therefore we can boost the amount that they'd get from maybe a $5 study now becomes a $15 study for them. And that's, that's a significant amount for one study for 
you know, depending whether it be asking your data a question or asking you a question, maybe it's 10 minutes of your time, maybe it's a moment of your time, right? So uh, tell me a little bit about how, um, how different users, so um, how will companies find the users that they're looking for? Um, and how will that system be built to protect the user? So um, we've talked about creating a system of tags so that people can sort of see their digital self while they also see what the company is looking at and giving them the option to sort of edit edit that down. So right. uh, we're, tr we're trying to create a system where the user is participating just as much as, as the company should they want to. Yeah. I mean, there's your standard um, market research questions that we are going to ask when people onboard onto our system, which is male, female, <laughs> right? There's a couple of the, your age or your age range. Um, but then there's, you know, from if you've hooked your Fitbit data up, um, uh, with by granting us access, we could say, okay, this person's a heavy runner because they run X amount and maybe Lululemon wants to ask heavy runners about their legging products, right? Because those are the people that are stretching their new line of leggings out. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's kind of an odd example, but whatever it might be. Um, so we've basically created a system of tags where you can see a couple things. One, tags that you manually input, which are clearly things that you're just willing to share and we're not actually holding that on our back end. So we're, so we're not really seeing that about you. <laughs> we know that when we query to different phones that we can query to certain phones, but we don't really know yep. who you are still. Um, but then on top of that, then there's also the element of what does your data um, say about you? Right, which is this this Fitbit example that I gave, which is uh, that you're a heavy runner because of this amount of data, or you're a frequent traveler, and maybe we say, you know, your data says about you that you're a frequent travel traveler, and you're like, no, I just happened to take a vacation <laughs> yeah. last week, but I haven't seen the light of day <laughs> for four years, you know. Um, so there's there's different things there that are really cool because one obviously all of this is you know choice there's going to be options that you don't even have to have any of these things for but it is going to help with tailoring certain um market research studies to you and obviously that can help boost that payment from yep. whether it be 20 bucks to 300 bucks and it can really make a significant difference so you can maximize the opportunities that right. you qualify for essentially uh, as willing you are uh, as willing as you are to give up you know certain information or to qualify yourself yeah um, so one of the interesting things we also have sort of at our disposal um, is the ability to do more engaged one-to-one -one studies or ask people questions that their data hasn't essentially asked uh, answered for them. So um, a lot of companies will have giant data sets from a couple years ago and they'll go through and they've just paid, you know, $20,000 for this data set and they might have a question about, you know, item token token id number one four five six seven eight you know right. they want to know well why did this person uh spend you know twenty thousand dollars at target that seems insane what did he buy yeah. um you know with our system you can actually go in and just pay someone to ask that question so you can say you know we've gotten back all of these results but there was a part of it that the data didn't answer so we'd like to pay someone to clarify that for us and that's i think the uh, the really exciting part where you marry the data with the person who can explain the data without having to unmask that person, without having to pull that person down into some um, 
some group, yeah. yeah, focus group, you know, yeah. in downtown where they don't want to go, where you just get, you know, homeless people for the most part who are trying to, maybe not homeless. I did a few focus groups, but uh, it was like for 50 bucks and I was a starving college kid, so I needed it. But my answers weren't, you know, weren't great. I wasn't the average person they were asking um, right. about the study. So uh, that being said, some of the studies that are being done now are being done with, with, focus groups that aren't representative of the general population because not as many people are just available to participate not as many people have four hours to go downtown right. to do something um but when you can get the same answers from a four-hour interview when you combine the data that's actually proven and verified it's not just something input so if i'm saying i go out you know twice a week well most doctors say if you say you do some if, if you're told that you go out twice a week assume they go out every day like triple it you know <laughs> that's essentially right. so because everyone wants to downplay whatever well, that's negative a, behavior that's a they huge have, part you know? of market research right now is this recall memory and it's it's unverified where you you have people one of the examples that I was going to give um, is the tourism agency, right? There's there's co countries that entire GDP is basically reliant yeah. on tourism. And they have people standing with clipboards at the end of a ferry yeah. <laughs> being like, what did you do this trip? And what did you spend on alcohol? And you're either like, woo, I spent so much. <laughs> or you're like, oh, I probably only spent $10. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you lie. You had a mojito at the beach every single day, right? Yeah. Um, so, so there's an interesting part about, it's not just recall memory that, you know, one you you don't recall as well as your data recalls and it's $8 and 95 cents. Right. But there's also that element of just inherent bias that you put in because you want to pro portray yourself a certain way. And that bias in some cases does exist, even in our Instagrams and our oh, Facebooks. Course. Exactly. <laughs> but then you have to couple it with the person and, and say, you know, you only thought I was into pop music because Ariana Grande dropped a new album and I happened to love it or whatever yeah. it might be. Right. So I've been listening to it on repeat, but most of the time I'm not like there's different yeah. things that your data can say about you that are just that's wrong and, and it's allowing you to contribute both truth to that and verification and have complete control over that at every step in the process including um one thing that i, I didn't mention but now it's on my mind is um what i really like about this church and state of digime with this monetization layer of oobdi on top is that unlike facebook um and maybe i shouldn't say this but but unlike facebook where it's just they it, they screw you over and they issue you an apology or they, yeah. <laughs> you know, or they, or they have some PR person run an article or pay someone to do something for them to make them look shiny. Right. Um, one thing I love about this architecture is uh, since we're not holding your data. Right. And this is in your data vault that you literally only have access to because Digimi created their structure that way. Um, if you disabled us from being able to access that, um, we have nothing so you're just gone yeah. like it's not even like hey i want to submit a forget me it's like oh well you we forgot you we don't have yeah. anything on yeah. you um and i think that's just so powerful because i i i see people with similar visions like and and i hate the word visionary and that just grosses me out that i use the word vision even <laughs> but 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 i see people with similar like desires to monetize data but it's just a lot um some i would say some of them are like trust us 
Yeah. Give give us your we'll data. We'll be the better. We'll Google. be the better. Right. Like we're gonna do better by you because we're compensating you in some way. And that's just like no, yeah. <laughs> for me that's a, that's a absolute no. It has to be user centric, privacy focused. We can only extract the focus bits of data that we need. And other than that, it's yours. There should be and no you... trust required. It right. Should be just that it should be an architecture dry. versus a um blatant ask for trust and i think that's really what we've built here and it, it i mean it, it excites me that's why we're here <laughs> yep. so um what are uh well i'll talk quickly about sort of like what our fees are we're just taking you know a really flat 20 percent fee as of now so we're not going to do some crazy you know a lot of our competitors are trying to take 30 or 40 percent uh or they have there's some people that take more than that in certain token models. Uh, yeah, no, sure. dozens, <laughs> do tons more. So um, we've tried to keep things uh, pretty much like we're we're more of a platform providing a service, but more in the sense that um, I don't know. Uber's not a great. Uber's a terrible, terrible example. I think they take like but like, 40 but like if Uber, yeah, right? they take a massive amount. But if <laughs> if Uber had just essentially handed it off to the drivers and said, "We don't need to be doing this anymore," the drivers have everything they need we built the app i mean i could i can get a clone app of uber for 400 bucks <laughs> it's like why do these drivers need uber i could make like the same thing and they have the same software so um doing something like that we want to do something where the users have the yeah. majority of the network value where we're stepping aside and just trying to maximize the value yeah. for the users and our incentives are very much aligned in that respect right. Um, and 80 per and i and i do think that well i i don't think we need to dive into the financials so much but returning 80 percent to users and i think that's even uh, like kind of more of a startup fee i i i don't want to speak to i don't want to be held yeah. you know obviously there's going to be different costs to running this network and getting things up and going and executing right but i i do hope that as we grow and grow together that we can pull back on that number and it starts to become, you know, you become big enough that you're like 1% fee, 99% is going to the user. Like that's the end goal. And I'm planning on using the app and making money from it myself. Yep. So like, I don't really, <laughs> you know, it's aligning, like you said, it's aligning the incentives of like, we succeed when they succeed and, and it shouldn't be any other way. And that being said, we're trying to decentralize the actual token network. We right. want it to be a mineable token. We want to give, our users the option to also you know generate the compute to power the network right. so that it's not just uh you know us sitting in some warehouse running the whole network um we want to decentralize as much as possible so that on a global scale people can use it wherever they are without having to worry too much about one central authority shutting the whole thing down um and we'll talk i'll definitely talk more about how to get involved with some of the mining opportunities and um other opportunities for partnerships and things with the token um but i would i would say we should wrap up with a few quick things firstly um what would you say is the difference between this and a ubi or a real universal basic income oh well it's i mean i do believe in a universal the, the, basic income give me fully. the the similarities and the differences okay um well, I think, I mean, universal basic income is open and accessible to everyone. That's why it's universal. It's not saying you're rich or you're poor. It's just saying we're giving this to you. Um, I think, I mean, Andrew Yang, I'm a fan, obviously. 
but um, capitalism that doesn't start at zero, right? Um, it, it's generated to everyone. And that's a similarity, I think, with data too, is it's available and open to everyone. Um, it's something that everyone has, everyone generates, and looking at you, you're no longer just a consumer, you're a producer of value and you should control and be able to do something with that value as you choose. Um, so I think um, on the front of just this universal aspect of global, national, local, etc., cetera, um, that's a similarity. Um, I also think that um, from, from one difference, even <laughs> it's hard for me to say, one difference is that I think for the data that you're actually contributing and working, <laughs> it's like you are putting in some effort and there's there's something there that you are you're earning that you're value. generating the value you're Instead earning this income and right and so <laughs> I disagree with that because I, I I don't see it as a redistribution of wealth necessarily right but but I totally agree that that is a bit like there's the Republican argument that has always been that it's it's not that we're against all of the upsides right the declining mental health declined hospitalizations, reducing crime, like most people aren't against that unless they're crazy. Mm. <laughs> but the idea of where does that value come from? Where does that money come from to pay these people? Right. And I think um, while I personally agree that this could be coupled with I'm not saying that there can't be universal basic income and then a universal basic data income. Right. I think they could work hand in hand nicely together. I do think that the argument of like you're producing it, you're contributing you're earning this value for yourself. You earn what you put in. Um, and our job is to create as much possibilities and opportunities so that there are plenty of options on all spectrums and ranges that everyone can contribute to make that actual income for themselves. I don't know if that answered the full question, but... Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, think... And also, I would say it's... It's international, so UBI is just one country. We're not giving UBI to China if Andrew right, Yang right. passages. Right, so, right. so, I mean, this is something truly international where yeah. you can lift people up in Africa, you can lift them up It's uh, true in because Vietnam. they get, I mean, if everyone's getting this stake in the community, right, and it's not just this flat payment, like, what's mine is mine. Yep. It's also, like, I'm contributing to a network, and when that network goes global, like, you're, you are helping people in other countries because you're growing your you know network together yep. kind of thing you're and giving I think them that's really access powerful. to the markets that will make their data valuable you're yeah. helping them leverage it in the way that they previously hadn't you know right now facebook is going around trying to give them all free internet so they generate data for them for that free you know that's that's the idea it's a good that's, place that's to their end thinking. <laughs> yeah exactly so you know this is this is the better solution i think to that and it's something that everyone eventually can transact with it's something that takes power away from the organizations that typically oppress people if you just give everyone an asset and you give everyone something that they can transact with each other with regardless of boundaries or yeah. borders um, all of a sudden everyone can trade with each other and work with each other well that sounds it. really cool mark i think we should <laughs> yeah, build it I think we should. <laughs> so uh, to, to wrap this up what what is the benefit of being an early user on our platform and what would you tell people I would tell people that we're allocating 10% um, of our entire um, basket, if you will, of tokens that will ever be created to um, a lot of our first users. And that's dependent on when you come in and, and your contribution. But I mean, if you uh, want to be a beta user, we're in beta right now. A lot of changes, I think, next week or the week after are going to occur in our app. But um, we're testing and you can get 2,000 um, UBD tokens. Um, for helping us and giving us feedback, finding the bugs, all the things that beta is. 
um, and that effectively gives you the largest stake in the network, which will have some probably other benefits on, on voting and being a founding member as well. Yeah, um, we're, we're keeping track of the order you're signing up in. You can yeah. see your little member number in the corner, and we're, we're probably going to create sort of cohorts of people as we come in and as we figure out the study sizes they need. So there's definitely going to be a benefit to being an early member. We're going to remember you if you help build our community. And right. in some way, we're going to find a, a way to make sure that you benefit from that. Yeah, so. you're helping us build and grow. And if we're not building this for you, who the hell are we yeah. building it for? So. I can't think of any better people <laughs> to get involved right off the start than the people who have uh, been here on this podcast listening to me Aww. for some reason. So, <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, I want to encourage you to go to upd.com. We got the .com recently. Yeah, we were .co. We were .co. So we so are moving up in the world. <laughs> we're the real deal now. Um, you can find us at Ubd Income on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, anything else? You can read my white paper. I wrote a... 40-page white paper for you guys. Not a ton of people read, read those, but yeah, but yeah. if you want to. No, um, that's, but, I mean, that's it. I'm happy. I mean, we, we know each other and we work together, so it's a little bit different than thanking says, you, but it's, I'm happy to be on your podcast, and uh, I hope everyone either learned something or got some sort of takeaway that I didn't just yammer for, for a long time. So thank you for having me. Yep, and thank you guys so much for listening. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out. I'd love to talk to you. And we'll be back next time. I know it's been a little while since we've done one. We've been heads down working. But Sorry. I'm going to find another, another few great guests for you guys sometime very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Bye, guys.